0: Welcome to the Midlife Pilot Podcast, a uh, podcast about uh, learning to fly and flying later in life. This is uh, episode 15. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, things that if you could do your flight journey or your flight training all over again, things you would do different or things that you thought went well. So it it should be a good time. My name is Chris Moran. I'm the Midlife Pilot on YouTube. And alongside uh co-host Brian Siskind, good evening, sir
1: Good evening, hello, and welcome to people in the chat and uh, I'm excited about this topic. I think it'll be good for um even those that are perhaps you know halfway through their private pilot training you know it doesn't necessarily be it doesn't necessarily need to be just reflections from people that have finished. I think there's a lot of people that are inside training right now that will have something fresh to offer the situation as well
0: yeah, for sure what's uh what's been happening oh bad timing All right, i'll fill time
1: no no you're fine <laughs> what's been happening um i i just finished a new video that's really uh artistic i suppose is the way you could describe it so it's gonna probably uh go over some people's heads or they won't like it very much but i'm pretty, pretty excited about having that done um got some flying coming up i'm gonna um See Friday night, if the weather's good, I'm gonna do my night currency. And then Sunday, I'm getting the club plane, making sure it's good, getting it back here to John Toon. And then Monday, taking my wife uh, to Birmingham, flying down uh, via Muscle Shoals to Birmingham uh, for a couple of nights to do an anniversary kind of just getaway kind of uh, weekend. So, oh, very cool. um, So, that's the, the next flight trip on the books. Awesome. And the weather's looking great, so I'm stoked
0: yeah this time of year it's uh you get lucky sometimes like that i guess yeah cool, yeah I yeah, flew What about the, you I flew the two thirty five to Newport news uh last week uh for a three day work trip um that was my first uh we talked about this a little bit on a on a hangout for patrons um last week, but it was my first experience in like actually working around weather, both clouds and also Mm -hmm. like precipitation, uh, and rain. And so we had, you know, um, delayed radar. We always warn everybody like use your iPad with ADS-B, but know that it's, you know, four or five or more minutes delayed and, you know, pay attention to that. But we used that and, um, really did some kind of clever navigating to get around the heaviest parts of the rain. We still end up flying through some rain for about a half an hour, which was pretty, uh, It was fine. I mean, it was still VFR, you know, didn't break any regs, but it was definitely a, keeps you a little bit more, you know, you're kind of paying attention. You kind of
1: sit up in your seat a little taller,
0: you know, and and pay attention.
1: That's awesome. I've been, I've been wanting to get more experience like that, but also not wanting to get more experience like that. You know what I mean? It's like, I want there to be good weather, but I, you know.
0: We we planned really well for it. I went as far even both ways of the trip. I, I don't always call for an actual briefing from a briefer because you know the honestly the tools we have available today are so much better than what they used to be. And uh but in that specific case I did want to I mean I talked with a briefer on both legs just to make sure that um mm-hmm. I wasn't missing something obvious. And then also, so we knew very well what we were getting into, but um, it would have very been very easy just to say like, man, we should just, just drive. I mean, this is, you know, it looks dicey. But I, I just think this time of year, uh, you know, it was a few hundred mile trip. It's like you almost can't cancel every flight you might make like that because there's like pop up rain and storms along your route of flight because the summertime it's going to be that way darn near every day you'd never fly so yeah um we i think we made i we looked back on it and i kind of broke it down after getting back and i I really feel pretty good about the decision making it was we were never at risk but it was definitely at the extent of my comfort like it was the end of my yeah you know kind of if it got any worse i would have we would have done something different but it was uh it was great it was really good learning experience Oh man,
1: that's awesome you know i feel like in foreflight, where they, uh, I feel like the forecast discussions are so valuable inside the TAF, you know, mm-hmm. sort of option, but they're so kind of buried. You have to really drill to just get to the forecast discussion, and I'm always amazed at because it's it's so it gives you such a great way of understanding big picture, what's happening, what's going to be happening, what's expected, reasonably human conversational tone. That's right. Um, it's really cool. So if anybody hasn't been using that you <laughs> make sure you you dig into that uh um, yeah for sure i'm sure that's sourced from just aviationweather.gov or whatever but
0: the clouds i feel like and that's probably just a meteor a thing like clouds are still hard to predict i think still and so like i'm always kind of not bummed but you know you just can't you can't take to the bank um like Base like, like, ceiling exact ceilings and all along the route of flight, and also tops. That's one of the things we found on the way down that we ended up trying to climb over a thing. We were above 12,000 feet trying to get over these house and we weren't going to make it. And so, like, we ended up kind of in a bowl, like, we were coming up to a layer that we couldn't clear, and there were clouds. Kind of, we had kind of gotten ourselves surrounded in this, uh. like, kind of in this bowl. Um, But we could tell that it was clear under after now we climbed all the way up there. It was like, if we get down below like 7,500, I bet we can do it. So we ended up doing some like pretty wild, like <laughs> descending steep turns almost in a, in a bowl um, to get down about, you know, under them and then flew the rest of the way. But that was another cool, you know, that's just how you learn. And that was as close as we would have wanted to be being boxed in somewhere, you know, where yeah, it's like, you yeah, really that's
1: awesome, at. man. I'd- yeah, I want I want exactly that kind of experience, just not with perhaps my wife flying with me, right? But just yes, maybe another pilot part. or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So let's get into our our topic for this evening. I think we're going to get a lot of good stuff.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So um, that was a good suggestion. I think you said you saw it in one of the um, one of the Facebook groups that we're all in. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of, I guess. Kind of the idea was that um, if you could start over, like no, you know, haven't gone through this now, and you look back at your where you're at in your journey, whether it's like, like you said earlier, like halfway through your training, fully done training, or you've been done for a long time. Like, what are some things that you would do different now? I mean, never, never hardly do you get a chance to do it. do have a do-over, but like, what would you do differently uh, if you could do it again now? That's a pretty interesting idea. I've been thinking about it a little bit today.
1: Yeah. It's also, you know, it's kind of like, if you could go back to high school you know, you just, you would just ask the girl out, like whatever she says, no, I don't know. You would be all worked up about it. You know, so right. it's, it's easy to have sort of like the hindsight is 2020 thing, but I mean, but th- there's, there's value in that. So I think it's worth, uh, getting into, I had made a little short list. Uh, I can just throw out the first thing that I, I had that was top of mind for me when I was thinking about this is, um, coming into it with, from a, just a mental attitude type of place. Um, understanding that one of the most important things you can have as a student is a short memory and just to not beat myself up so bad. Um, and understand that this is hard and you're not a prodigy and it's just going to take some work. I was upset that I wasn't a prodigy and I thought there might be a chance, you know, that I'm, that I would have three or four lessons. in, I thought maybe, I, maybe. And then i looked at my instructor at some point and just said, I was like, I'm not a prodigy at this. He's like, no, but you're average and that's good, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, ultimately that became just as rewarding to just be designated as like, really? I'm average. Yes. Right. Yes. Average. For sure. So, uh, but anyway, so I just, I, I feel like the the thing for me was just the mental attitude and preparation ahead of time to be like, you're going to beat yourself up. Don't, you're going to want to, don't do it and have a short memory. Don't bring the, stress from one lesson's outcome into another, start fresh every time. That would be my first thing.
0: That's great. I'm going to actually show a comment here real quick because this actually leads into my first one. Bearded Aviator said, (laughs) also knowing what I know now, I would have started 25 years ago. So after you sent the topic idea to me, I started thinking a lot about this as well. And um, I also, knowing what I know now, kind of wish I had done this, like, maybe professionally or maybe done this as a, as a profession, like this had kind of been my thing from when I was yeah, young, Yeah, you know, that's a little bit, I think beyond the scope of what I really wanted the question to be for me. Like I'm not, t- I, I would say,
1: like, I would say though, totally appropriate from a midlife pilot standpoint, yeah, you're what right. we're kind of doing right. I mean, and that's really, that's really a thing, you know, prepare somehow for the fact that you might love this so much that you wish you did it right a long time ago and you're going to feel like you regret it, but you can't.
0: But let's so let's avoid that. Let's avoid that whole sure. it's like mine like tunnel for a minute. But <laughs> the despair of mortality. Yeah, exactly. Like what have I done with myself? <laughs> uh but like I wish I had waited. So I have a couple of things. I wish I had waited a teeny little bit longer to start mine, and I'll tell you why. Ah. I'm by teeny, I'm talking like a year or or, or two. Okay. I got And how I do, this is a fault of mine. I got the idea that I was going to do this thing. And when that happens, it's generally kind of hell or high water. Like this is, I'm doing this now. And the reality is, In our, uh, both in our like timing of just how busy we were with stuff in that phase and Mm -hmm. also financially, a year would have made a gigantic difference for us, Uh but I did it anyway. (laughs) And I paid the price midway through because we were in the middle of, we bought a building, we were in the middle of like a crazy thing. And I ended up, there's a layover in my logbook right in the middle of my training, like post solo time, like I'm saying 20 hours in probably, there's an eight month layoff where I didn't fly once.
1: I keep forgetting that that's, that's, yeah.
0: So Man. what did that do? You know, that just kind of stretched the thing out. And, and, uh, but if I had just, if I had just waited a year, um, things would have been, I could have flown more, you know, more regularly, uh, every week, things just would have been a smoother experience. So it's weird. I wish I had done it, you know, 20 years earlier, 25 years earlier, but or then I wish later. I had a, or one year later. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty wild timing.
1: So ultimately the the distillation here is it's about timing, I suppose. Yeah. So just knowing when when the right time is to start if cuz Yeah, for, I mean for me it was it was kind of a I'm I'm the same way. It's like once I, I'm sure a lot of us are in this <laughs> once we start uh getting our head pointed in the direction we're going to go do this thing, then just get out of the way.
0: I'm going to read I'm going to read one more thing and then you can you can hear what else is on your list. This is uh, from the Badger Pilot. I can relate to this as well, but I I made a mental decision halfway through my training to correct it. He says, I was so focused on getting done in as few hours as possible that I missed a lot of great learning opportunities until after my check ride. I wish I would have taken the time to enjoy the ride. And I... I can't tell you how many club members that we've had join our flying club who are like, so I can do this in 40 hours. Like, and it's like, it's a race. Everybody's racing. Everybody wants to like do the thing. And I, I tell everybody now, because I said, I missed the first half of mine. That's what I wanted to do too. And then when it hit me, I am flying a freaking airplane. And just because my instructor is in the plane with me, doesn't make that any less amazing. Like I'm going to take every single lesson as a flight, whether it's before I have my certificate or after like an hour is an hour in the airplane. And I just, once I kind of changed my own mindset about that, that did kind of change everything about the training process. Like, um, but yes, that's a great point. That's an excellent
1: point. So another one I had was, um, this is maybe a little bit more particular, but, um, there was a point once I got into doing pattern work, uh, in that sort of, ramp that you kind of get on to eventually do your first solo. I, 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 at that point sort of said, okay, I, I want the same airplane every time. Uh, Cause I was getting rotated through a few different 172s that had pretty different things. And I wish that I would have insisted, you know, we're reasonable, but you know, sometimes you can't avoid it. Something's in maintenance or whatever you want to fly. But I just wish that I would have, asked for consistency on a lot of fronts up you know in the very beginning of the process but it's hard to feel like um you're so overwhelmed by the fact that you're even doing this that it's hard to in the first say 10 lessons get to the point where you feel like i own this training they work for me i you know you you don't want to claim that i know anything right and you know but um some of those instincts were actually pretty good. I yeah. As soon as I got stayed consistent in one plane, I did much better. I wish I would have done that from the very beginning.
0: Isn't it funny how that changes over time, at least for yes. me, like, yeah. because now, because now all I want to do is fly other, like I, now I'm, now I'm excited. So I was telling you, Brian, we've talked a lot offline about this, but like, so our club, we've got the, 172 that i trained in now I, I i was fortunate in that i did train i was the only person running that plane during my the entirety of my training so it was available for me basically the entire i didn't have any scheduling problems i flew at 100 percent of the hours until my check ride i had like two hours in a freaking 300 horsepower saratoga with my instructor once some random flight but like i was flying that airplane um and then we add, we bought the 235 and put it in the club. And that was a huge, I'm still learning. I mean, that's a huge stretch. And now the club is adding us. A, a couple guys in our club are buying a 150 and are going to lease it to the club. And we've already kind of started talking through the process. And I don't even think we're going to require checkouts in it for everybody who's already been checked out in the 172 because it is such a similar platform. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to go over the speeds. We're going to go over... Performance limitations because that's the big thing with the little 150, right? Is the like weight and balance and the performance limitations coming up. But part of the problem is we there's a lot of our members who we physically can't check out in the plane, meaning I can't fit a member and another instructor in the plane. So like if you've got, if you've, if you've trained, if you've trained in 172, if you're checked, anyway, my, the whole point of that tirade is like, I can't wait for it to get here because I'm going to sprint to the airport to put cameras on that plane and film my first ever, like I'm, I'm going to do my due diligence, obviously in my pre-flight and like know the POH and like the checklist, like I'm not going to just be stupid, but like. This is my first time ever in this plane, and I cannot wait to just get in the airplane and fly it yeah. and see what that is like. That would be the first, right? That's the first time I will have ever got into an unfamiliar airplane by myself and had to just work through it and like see, learn to feel it and understand what it is. And I just am so excited about that yeah. now. Obviously, you wouldn't do that in the Inver- Like, It's only because it's so similar to the 172 that you already know. It's not like I would say, like, give me that Beechcraft – like. Bonanza, and I'm just going to go like knock myself out. Yeah, no, but anyway, it's a 150. So anyway, I de- yes, I definitely exciting. want to
1: fly other planes. I just also I just don't have a lot of clear opportunities to do it. I did tell you that my club is getting a a, one, a Cherokee 180. Yes, that's exciting. A low so, option. Um, so yeah, that that'll be probably just right, you know. And then that'll probably end up being my next time I come out to the. Uh, <laughs> outer banks. I'll probably take something like that. Yeah. Um, for the long haul. But uh, all right. So another one I had um is I feel like it sounds it sounds dumb, but I I wish I would have done more. You you were already so deep in radio navigation, um, and sims and you know all this kind of stuff. I didn't have any of that. And I just didn't really get a lot of time just puts in with radio navigation. It just, we just touched on it enough to get through whatever, but it's not, it doesn't feel part of my practice. Uh, you know, if I'm on a longer flight, I'll, I'll dial in a VOR or something and just like whatever, it's not where I'm going anyway, but you know, right. it's just, it's, it's hard because you know, obviously it is important to know that stuff, but it's also not important at this stage, but it's still important and you need to know how to use everything in the plane and. I feel like I'm sort of. I need to just do some navigation flights or something just to kind of get get up with that. So that's something that I, you know, I think that if maybe in, in the big picture, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, take it all in, right? Like, don't don't let something slide uh, with minimal knowledge mm-hmm. when you know you're going to get on your own and you're if you don't if you're not not uh, in a place where you can keep up with it yourself and teach yourself, and you probably need some help or something, you're going to be in a bad spot. So That's take great. everything seriously, I That's guess. Uh, I didn't take it, I did not take it seriously. It was just, I let it fall off because I was, my brain was full. Sure.
0: I don't, uh, I do love, I do love me some VORs. Um, yeah. But I will tell you, in my, in my area, geographically, They're virtually all offline, or or what's happening now is even if they haven't been, some of them haven't been scheduled to be, or they're on the schedule to be decommissioned, but they're not there yet. When they go out of service, they just don't repair them now. Mm. So, uh, virtually all the VOR stations in my region are offline permanently. Um, And there are, I mean, ultimately, there it the bulk, vast, extreme majority of the network is scheduled for decommission, Um, but. I would like when I go to the Outer Banks for those trips, I try to, I plan my route because there's VOR stations pretty much along my route. So I have two, two waypoints in there, Kessel VOR and then um, Richmond, which is right over top. It's on the airfield at Richmond international. So those are two waypoints that I use. And I do use them in my nav too. I keep my nav too on, uh, on um, VOR the whole time. And I do try to track it. I do try to keep, you know, just it's like, what cause it is, you're right. It's one more thing that like, if, if, Poop hit the fan and all else went upside down. I could still get where I was going just on the VORs. Um, Yeah. You know, I have another one speaking of um, kind of training things and different airplanes. How about, and I loved, I mean, I had a great instructor. If you guys have watched the series with Tyler, like I, I, When's he, he
1: coming to, on, by the way?
0: I need to get him back on. He is so busy. He's, he's got a baby. He's got another baby on the way. He's flying Lear jets now for a living. He got promoted to captain. I mean, wow. he's, uh, he's going crazy, gangbusters, but I need to
1: get him back on. But He's too he's so good uh, for us. He's, he's big time in us. He
0: has, he has moved up in the road. I don't even get to talk to him hardly anymore. He's so busy. <laughs> he's always flying. Wow. But, um, he got a satabria, an, an a, 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 acro, a, aerobatic satabria. So he wants to get me up to do my tailwheel and that and do aerobatics. I'm like, no, I don't know about all that. But um, (laughs) how about this idea of like, I think it would have been beneficial maybe to have had some hours with other instructors. I mean, like have a primary guy like I did with Tyler, but I Uh think I could have benefited from some additional time with some other people with other perspectives maybe on some things. That's that's,
1: that's an interesting idea in the sense that Theoretically, it would be of no harm if you wanted to really trick out your training. Like it's weird to me that some of the stuff is left for just after you get the private pilot. Then, if you want to go do this, then you do this. But why not have like a uh, an option that's still a stated kind of curriculum that's just uh, where they basically give you get a you know, in the same way that we get simulated instrument. You know, mm-hmm. we're not getting instrument rated, but we're getting enough to do a one eighty and turn around. You know, that's right. Uh, you know, so why not have a few more wrinkles? Like, how cool would it be if there was? I guess it's just about resources, but, um, it'd be cool to have other disciplines or, you know, some entry level aerobatics or I don't know, just various little tastes of things through it. For uh, sure. Maybe required, I guess, but I don't know. You can't, I don't know. Just could be richer.
0: I'm, uh, I've gotten on a tangent here. Um, Old Aviator has a, um, had a comment. I don't think all of the VORs will go away. They're still used for some approaches, and I do think he is correct. So I've, I've now found myself in a rabbit hole of finding a list of VORs that are go- that are on the current FAA decommissioning list. And at this moment in time, uh, there are one hundred and seventeen VOR stations that are on the discontinuation. List So certainly there are more than 117 um, total. I'm sorry. Th- I'm sorry. There have been 117 decommissioned uh, to date. And on the target list of decommissioning, uh, there is an additional 187 to be decommissioned.
1: And they're just doing um, that by attrition. They're just letting them just die.
0: I think they. I think there is a strategy. I think. I think it's more than that. I think some of them that are key to like, um, Victor Airways, like, um, you know, kind of on-off points of Airways. I know most of them are, but I'm saying the the more the more major ones they're keeping around longer, and probably ones that are key to approaches and stuff. But yeah. I think there is a strategy here. Um, but man, you look at the list, and there. I mean, there's some that are in. It's not like these are all just rural, like middle of nowhere um, VR. So I don't know. I got to do some research now and see. So that would be 187 plus 116 uh, that have been decommissioned. So that's, or are going to be, I don't know how many VORs there are in the United States, but that's a pretty big list. And that's updated as of uh, February of this year. so,
1: so, Jay Little has a question about uh, instrument training that we're not capable of answering, I guess, because we don't have instrument ratings yet. But we, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Um, I'm still working on my ground and just trying to get sort of attenuated to the idea that I'm going to do it. But and I know Chris, you've actually started in with some lessons, um, so I have a feeling we'll get into that probably both of us more around the summertime fall time. Uh, but yeah, how many hours do you think would be proficient rather than just being legal? I mean, we'll, we'll let you know to be determined probably more than what's required. Yeah. And that always it's the case. About keep, I think it's just about keeping it up as opposed to uh, that's actually, you know, what's interesting is that I think that's actually, if I have any hesitation towards really bearing down an instrument right now, it's actually that I know that now in the same way that night currency or other things, it's just going to add to my rotation of things that I need to be really sincere about being pursuant to and Mm -hmm. uh, owning um, a responsible level of proficiency for them. And that actually kind of, it seems daunting to me more than the curriculum and the practice. I think there's probably two different,
0: I think there's two, when we talk about instrument, I think there's two different things that we're really talking about staying proficient at, right? One is like, Flying by reference to the instruments with no outside reference, like controlling your airplane when you can't see outside. So I think that's like one thing by control. I just mean like straight and level, like not die level. Yeah, not die. Then there is all the like flying the procedures and the holds and the entries to holds and the approaches. Like, so I, to me, I, I almost see them as two different things that probably require their own level of prof- keeping proficient. One is like not forgetting how to scan and do the flying that way. And the other is, um, you know, doing the approaches and flying the instrument procedures correctly. Um, both probably, I mean, both certainly, like you say, will require more than the legal minimum, I'm sure. But I bet you for each individual very greatly, like, how much it really takes to stay, you know, maybe, maybe it's the riding a bike thing with, you know, flying with reference to the instruments. Like you just, maybe you stay perfect at it. It takes some time, but you don't really forget how to do it. You know what I mean? And then for flying the approaches, I mean, it's all on charts and stuff, but there's a lot of stuff you just have to remember. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll know more about what it is um, soon. Um,
0: old aviator asks if I have done any time in a simulator as part of my IFR training. Uh, he said, just curious, I started with about 10 hours in one. So I have not ever used a appropriate simulator that is loggable for time by simming. All I ever did was, um, used X plane at home with my own little setup along with, um, either VAT sim or, um, the one i always forget um the subscription that i paid for for um mm-hmm. air traffic control that they're based in the California, they have the whole oh, california yeah, yeah. region covered um but those were the only things i did with sims i i Would like to find one. I mean, I just think it'd be a cool experience and a cool way to learn. And in full disclosure, as far as instrument lessons, I have like one that wasn't even really like we spent about a half hour under the hood and practice like straight and level and like flying by instruments and doing some turns and stuff. I have done no studying pilot edge. Thank you. It's pilot edge. Thank you. Um, I have done no Studying really yet, and, and haven't got into any procedure flying or any of that kind of stuff yet. So,
1: so you're about done, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah,
0: I got it about wrapped up.
1: It's definitely one where it's just going to be all about the written until it's time to go. Yep. Um. But yeah. So I actually have. Have you ever used a simulator that's um, you know, improved whatever time building? Uh. Uh-uh.
0: They're not. They don't. They, it's surprisingly the the the. I don't think the restrictions are quite as strict as you might think them to be. They just have to meet certain benchmarks for accuracy and you know performance and like things. It's not like we don't. You think about it. It's it's not like it's a, it has to be a one of these giant full motion like sure. full wrap around. It's not. It's not that necessarily the
1: requirements are like more than one screen maybe. <laughs> right. You know. And there there there
0: are yeah. certain restrictions. Hmm, Like actual flight controls, but then also uh, a, a platform where you can change the, or the instructor can change parameters of the simulator, uh, in, initiate failures, um, change visibility and stuff as needed, those kind wow. of things. That Which would be is- so
1: fun to play God as an instructor doing that to a poor sap like one of us in the instructor in the simulator booth. That would be really fun. So,
0: I, this will really be the first time like getting into an instrument where I'll really have a valid use for the simulator. I mean, I learned a ton on it, leading like you mentioned earlier, like leading into my training on both like VORs and also, but really radio communication was a huge, huge, huge part that I learned on simming. But, um you talk about where it really is beneficial even for your little even for like on your little home sim the instrument stuff is so key because it takes away the need for this super massive graphics adapter to render the outside world because who gives a crap like you're make your panel your panels full screen like if all you're trying to do is fly like p- procedures and approaches and stuff you don't need to see outside anyhow like yeah it's just a panel to keep the instruments going and fly that.
1: Well, so there's, I guess, I forget what the rules are. It's like you can do ten hours, I think, towards instrument or something like that. And so they have one up at my school up the streets here. So I'm, I'm thinking that that might be how I start um, before I get into all the rest. But yeah, I'm interested. I mean. What <laughs> How, how I've, since I've never done any flight sim of any kind ever, what do you what do you predict will be my response to uh, flight school sim?
0: You are gonna think it's um, you are like, well, this doesn't feel anything like the airplane. I mean, that's <laughs> my experience was that I was shocked at how much not like the airplane it felt. But this is gonna, I gotta phrase this correctly so that nobody that's listening re- reads into this incorrectly. I have found lately in my flying that some of the things that did make sense to me from SIM, because, you know, in a SIM, there's no risk. You do whatever you want. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've stall, spend planes in the SIM, sim, just intentionally being completely out of my mind, you know, because what's, why not? I mean, you completely screw around and just play with it. I'm not, this is not instruction, and I I don't mean this in the full (laughs) literal sense, but I do think it gives you a little bit of a head start of the sense for what um not the limits are but you know I, I just feel like all of the hours that I had in this in flying the Cessna 172s and x plane ha- got me a little bit of a head start of understanding what the limitations both you know of speed and like bank angle and like just what what I mean I because I did it so many times I'm talking thousands of hours thousands wow. in, in, on X plane um a lot of it was before I had I really cared so I was developing bad habits but really the last half of it i mean i mean still probably a thousand hours was like legit um trying to do things the right way i understood what v speeds work i understood things uh, and could really kind of work before that's huge which i think helped me a ton
1: no that's huge so you were just running just running full power in a 172 just oh
0: man some of the stuff is ridiculous like (laughs) just trying to like i don't know just like trying to take (laughs) off get clear up to where you stall and then like trying to like bring it back and land the opposite direction on the same runway you just took off. I mean like stuff you would never do in real life. Like
1: now let me ask you this. Do you feel like that you can tell if you observe other pilots when they're piloting, do you feel like you can tell what people come from the sim world versus come from not sim world?
0: Um, no, not from flying, I don't think. I feel like I can tell if people practice on the radio or use pilot edge. I mean, I can definitely tell radio people whether they've had a head start on that or not. Is that just because
1: there's weird little things they say in the pilot edge that's like, yes, that's correct, but nobody says that or those kind of things? No, I think it's just because I'm making a I'm making a
0: guess based on like if I knew how many hours in the real world these people Uh, had, I could pretty much gauge that they were uh that they had a head start or didn't, um, you can just kind of tell. Although, in fairness, I also hear lots of guys who I know have been flying for fifty years. Just people that I know from the area that I hear them on the radio. I'm like, holy crap, how did you do this for? F-? I mean, like, some of this stuff is just so bad, so bad. Yeah, but it is what it is. Oh, there's some good questions. We got to get some of these. Uh, food head, I don't recognize. That's a that's a new name for us. I think on the Chad, you recognize that, Brian.
1: Uh, no, no, but I, I'm, I'm all about food.
0: <laughs> me too. Foodhead says, has lots of water near me. How did you make peace with engine out forced landing? Um, how
1: do you make peace with it? Well, it me meaning, how, how
0: are you okay with go fly? Yeah, how are you okay to go fly Like knowing that that's a possibility? Um, I don't know that I have fully. I mean, I think about it every time. Yeah. Um, I think that – definitely like you say there's water near you there's obviously if you've seen any of my videos there's there's terrain everywhere here in west virginia i mean it's there's nowhere to go in a lot of cases around our airport you just think about it every time i do think about it every takeoff i mean i think about it every single time uh and i just i have made peace with it by knowing that the people who definitively kill themselves are the people who stall spin And the people who have a chance are the ones that fly it all the way into whatever they're going to fly it into. So I think about being like when I'm thinking about if I'm going to end up in the river or on the interstate or in the treetops or wherever, my intention is going to be. As slow as I can possibly be, uh, with all forty degrees of flaps in, if I've got them, and stalling it right above where I touch down, and hope for the best. I right, just like think
1: holding one hand out the window. <laughs>
0: <trying> to, yeah, <laughs> I just know that people that people that kill themselves are the ones that just pull because they're panicked and um, just, you know stall the thing and spin it in, and that's guaranteed. That's the end for sure. So uh, just yeah. fly it. To, I mean you find to make the best decision and try to fly it all the way in. Well, well you?
1: put, well put. Okay. 15, oh, that's a correction on my um, hours of simulator uh, for instrument. Is it really 15? I think that's, that's, that might be right. Clearly we are not CFIs or people that know the regulations.
0: Oh yeah, we need the disclaimer. Uh, Jay Little says, during training, you're taught about making the impossible 180 degree turn after takeoff. this question's loaded with, uh, there's going to be some parameters required to answer this one. If you had an engine failure, would you two attempt to turn back to the runway or go forward?
1: Well, the good news is, I have briefed this before every flight that I've ever taken from uh, my first flight onward. And so uh, impossible turn is only going to be attempted based on conditions or even thought about Uh, at a 1,000 feet AGL. Um, And if I'm not at a 1,000 feet AGL, I'm going straight ahead, maybe 30 degrees one way or the other. If there's runway remaining and I can get on that, then I'll get on that. But I mean, ultimately, the question's about the impossible turn. I am not going to... uh, To me, that's something that if you practice it all the time and you own your aircraft and you know your aircraft, then you might be able to get some tighter understanding of exactly what those parameters are for me. It's a thousand feet and it depends on what the wind's doing and other things. So that's basically it. So I've I've said it out loud every single flight and everybody probably should.
0: I was going to say, I have more variables, which probably doesn't make me, it probably makes me the opposite of safer, but I, I have other variables like a thousand feet is my number two, especially in the Cherokee. Um, because of the way it, because its glide is so much worse than the than the one seventy two. However, um, there are so many factors that would make it that make me have to think twice if I would do it under a thousand feet. One is like the length of the runway, because you know a ten thousand foot runway, um, I may already be seven hundred feet above it at the end of it, like. Yeah. In other words, I may have a lot more runway already there that, you know what I mean, to come back to than I do on my little 3,000-foot one at Fairmont. So, mm-hmm. the length of the runway matters. Like you mentioned winds, like if it is a, if you've got, if you're taking off into like a 20-knot headwind, that makes a huge difference because your altitude above the ground, you're still going to be so much closer to the runway. You know, you won't be you'd be so much geographically like closer physically to the runway. So you, it might be a consideration, but the I, I also pay attention to the wind. We're really lucky around like the airport where I'm at, because in addition to the um, surface winds with our wind socks, we have the power plant that is visible, like as we're taking off with smokestacks. So I can also clearly see at the altitude where I'm climbing through exactly which way the wind is blowing at any moment, which would make my determination which way I was going to turn if I was going to come back um, you know, in- into the wind yeah, is the way that you would do that. Um, so it's a thousand foot is my general rule, especially at Fairmont where the runway is short and it's, there's stuff everywhere to hit. If you don't make it back, like I would definitely consider if I was in like Iowa and like it was a 10,000 foot runway and at either end of it was like a, Six mile cornfield, you know, I'd be like, yeah, what? I'm going to go back. (laughs) I mean, I'm just going to try to go back. And if I don't, stall spin is, uh, old aviator makes a good point. Under a thousand feet is the recipe for stall spin. It is. It's, uh, I keep coming back to it's It's really hard to stall spin if you're not pulling. I mean, if your nose is down and you're, you know, it's, you know, you got to still be a pilot. Like, can't, can't be stupid in those situations. But I I would, I would consider it under a thousand feet in the Cessna in the right conditions, I think. But, um, you know, we've, we, we say we've practiced them. We've never really, Mm-mm. we've never done them aggressively like I've seen. Or people with a non windmilling propeller. Right. So there's factors that we just don't know, but definitely. Um, you know, of course, also the like you say there, there's so many more factors than just that. It's like where are you? What else is around? like if there's great options straight ahead, um, you know, <laughs> then go there. I mean, it, there's just so many factors it's so hard to answer that question like as a straight up, would you do this or would you not? And I say well I mean,
1: it depends, <laughs> yeah, so uh, Jay Little's got another one here about uh, what would you do differently preparing for your check ride? Wow. That's a great question.
0: I would not stress as much about it, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. Just relax. It's just so much easier said than done. You can't, that's that's retroactive advice that you can't even really offer because it's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> There's just so much on the line. There's so much money and schedule. You, you know, especially now, people seem to be having a really hard time getting DPEs. I don't know if that's, universal or it's true here uh i was very very lucky in that way um yeah i'm trying to think of what else Um, i would study my
0: weather more i would study weather charts and their uh and their um legends more i'd understand more of the symbols than i did on a lot of the charts the -hmm. ones that i felt were i mean you know not irrelevant but the ones that i wasn't yeah you know i wasn't gonna spend a whole bunch of time in and Mm -hmm. uh, i got quizzed pretty hard on those and did not know a lot of things that I needed to know, and mm-hmm. so I would probably spend a little bit more time just understanding like symbology and some of the um, stuff on weather charts. But relaxing was the bigger thing. Like my DP spent the entire day trying to get me to chill and just go take him up for a Sunday afternoon flight. That's what he really wanted me to do. And uh, yeah, by the time we got to that point, it was like he had me calm down. It was a great experience.
1: But really, I was I was pretty uh, I was pretty hyped about it. Can't you imagine if you were a um, uh, if you were a DPE? How it's kind of like it must be like kind of like being a cop. You know what I mean? Where you're just driving down the road, but everybody slows down to the speed limit around you, or you know, just everywhere you go, there's just this field that controls people's behavior in ways that are only probably annoying to you that you have no control over whatsoever, right? Uh, you know, the DPE, um, he's like, man, can we not just enjoy our like time yeah, together? I can totally see that from this perspective now, you know, yeah. um, one, you know, cause it's actually kind of like, uh, there's really no graceful way for them to explain it to you. Even if they try to set it up for you before the flight to say, Hey, you know, look, you know, I just want you to relax, take it easy. we treat it like a Sunday drive, you know, or whatever. Um, that sort of beckons the feeling that you have when you're at the doctor, you know, or right. session, when they're like, I mean, this, look, it's really not that, you know, it's not going to hurt too bad, you know, or whatever. Uh, it's almost like the kinder and more deferential they are to you, the more you're almost skeptical. <laughs> because so much of the, the paranoia, right, is around what's a fail and how do you read the signals and the signs and what right. do you say and what do you not say? It becomes this whole behavior Exercise, and that's kind of the stuff that gets you amped up. So you got to just relax, man.
0: Hey, Josh is here. Um, hey, Josh. Josh is a patron. And for those of you uh, listening to the audio podcast, a uh, reminder that we record these uh, live every other Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern. And uh, we do it with a group of folks who hang out with us. We're on YouTube um, and Facebook. And uh, we do a ton of this interaction. So if you want to be part of the podcast, you can join us on those Wednesdays. Uh, Wednesdays. Josh is here. I'm going to share a link in the chat. I hope he doesn't mind. Um, I, just, I actually caught one of his videos. YouTube actually prompted me to it showed up for me and I oh, cool. uh, in my feed earlier uh, Josh flies a cirrus reasonably near me up around the Pittsburgh area and um, he had to help out ATC who there was an airplane that they weren't talking to squawking seventy seven hundred. And uh Josh was in their vicinity and he actually went over and checked it out and like kind of circled the plane and watched them land at the airport and talked to them on a CTAF frequency. It was pretty
1: it was pretty cool. When did this come out? When did this happen? Uh, I just saw I
0: just saw the video. It looked like it was published uh a few days ago. Um I think it was pretty recent, but I'm gonna share the link in the chat if anybody wants to check it out. Um, it's um, Sweet. it was kind of an interesting. It was kind of an interesting, just like things that were happening there, um, and how they were able to go like update the controller who had no idea. The controller lost the guy from radar and was not sure what happened to him. And so, like Josh actually came back to him like, "I just talked to him. He landed safe." He said it was on May eighth. So um, wow, that's kind of an interesting. It's just it's short. It's a good good short video. It's a good watch if you guys have time to check it out. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. So
1: yeah, we should just plug Josh in. Just send him the link. He can he can. So, oh, can you send me the that link? I can't get it in the chat, but I'd like to. Or I can't get it in the screen thing. Yeah, where do you? Oh, go wait. I'm it? sorry. No, I've got it over here. Never mind.
0: You've complicated okay. cool. my my life. Is complicated when you start talking tech things and we oh, get weird. No,
1: you're fine. All right. All right, uh, Josh. Man, this is awesome. Why am I not subscribed to Josh? I'm now subscribed to Josh. <laughs> so everybody else can do that. Yep. Go subscribe. Yeah. Speaking of, um, you know, for those that are listening on the audio uh, bit, um, which is, I guess where most people are listening. uh, Thanks for leaving all the Apple review things or whatever, because it actually seems to really help. Yeah. Um, So we've got probably, I don't know, 12 or so ratings over there. Now we'd like to get to, um, you know, a hundred thousand or 200,000 sometime in the next, you know, Ninety days, oh, okay, so uh it's yeah, good you know, but but if you can do little rate things or leave little review things or just press little good energy buttons around on software things, and it'll help us. Hey, I'm gonna share
0: a video on social media too in the coming days. I, I sent it to you already, Brian, but there was a pretty cool um there's a book kind of blew my mind uh was written by an air traffic controller that works works in washington center uh it's called a book is called a pilot's guide to air traffic control by andy watson it's a pilot's guide to air traffic control who's really in control real life atc stories um And one of our club members, who's also a CFI, who's also both of her parents are center controllers in Washington Center. And her dad actually taught, trained this guy when he started working there. She sent me a video of her opening up this book and he scrolls through this section of where it's like, I'd like to thank the following YouTube channels and says, in addition, I would like to thank the following podcast. And he scrolls down to this list. And I kid you not in print midlife pilot podcast is listed <laughs> in print. in this guy's book as like a thank you. And I was like, it just goes to show you, how wild is that? Like w- Washington center controller who just wrote a book, um, you know, called us out in his book. So I'm going to post that. That's a fun little video. I'm going to post it on social media. And we'll have to. I told. I told her. I want to get in touch with him. Uh, I want to get a copy of the book, and then he might be a great guest to come on and talk. There about you go. Stuff, yeah, this is like no in.
1: brainer. Yeah, that's awesome. What's the name of the book again? Uh, it's Pilots called Guide a to-
0: "Pilot's Guide to Air Traffic Control." Pilot's okay. Guide to Air Traffic Control. It's by Andy Watson. So I'll find out more information on where you can get it and that kind of stuff and share it out to everybody as well.
1: Awesome. We've awesome. we
0: got like twelve minutes left or so. We'll see if we can if you got more questions uh, hit us up in the chat. Uh, here's an interesting one, Brian that I haven't thought about although I should have i am i am a a big ish student or I was I guess Foodhead says, how about cabin etiquette for big students in small planes?
1: By the way, that sounds like a great YouTube channel idea. Big students in small planes, <laughs> just like get it. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would, I would watch that. Um, yeah, so I'm very not large person. So you're gonna. This is all you, Chris.
0: I mean, I don't know, two eleven. I don't know. Is that? I mean, um, you know, I was lucky because I had a small instructor and in Tyler. So we kind of ba- we complemented each other. He he's small, both like height and girth yeah,
1: he's <laughs> so a, he's a narrow um, dude
0: yeah it made it pretty easy on us we managed to both fly that 172 the whole time I don't think we ever even like rubbed shoulders it was you know we had we had plenty of room mm-hmm. uh, in that plane I don't know that I've experienced I mean I've I've flown with bigger fellas um, <clears throat> so is there cabin etiquette like, yeah, you brush your teeth. I mean it's just like Jerusalem oh, okay. has to be a I, I think that's I don't know if that's what he's asking, but that's what I think when I hear etiquette like
1: or like pilot arm goes on top.
0: Yeah, <laughs> of other I don't, you always got to put your arms around. See, I don't know. I've done it to everybody I've ever flown with. At some point, yeah. invariably, my arm ends up around the other seat. You know, that's just part of the nature. Of it. I think that's generally accepted behavior. Maybe don't touch the person, but like <laughs> you can make it around the seat. I don't know. It's uh, it's challenging. You know, it's tight quarters. And uh, <laughs> although I have also found stuff that would normally bother me in a safe space on the ground, when once you get in the air and you're flying the airplane, like so many less things matter now. Like I'm way less <laughs> yeah, concerned about how right. close this dude is to me, what his breath smells like. Like, yeah. what? I mean, it's kind of like focused on what you're doing. So it's maybe not so bad.
1: Yeah. It's not like, uh, like when you're in the bank line and there's somebody breathing on the back of your neck, oh. that's the one. All right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it looks like we're pretty well through everything. We can probably just go ahead and, and send it off.
0: Yeah, let's wrap it up then.
1: Uh, appreciate everybody uh,
0: hanging out as always. Uh, like and subscribe. You guys know the drill for the normal stuff. We've got another one coming up in two weeks. I promise there are videos coming to my YouTube channel. I have so much content um, that I just need to um, get on it. When's yours published, Brian? I can't wait to watch.
1: Uh, <laughs> this weird one yeah uh, i don't know
0: or share I it with could, me privately I could,
1: yeah i could put it out next day or two but um i might wait another couple of days
0: i'm excited to see it so uh be sure to check that out check out josh's uh channel linked in the comments there if you haven't he's a, a serious dude out of pittsburgh and it's good stuff um so cool
1: yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for everything. Thanks for everybody uh, asking so many awesome questions. Hopefully, this helps people that are, I don't know, in the midst of it, or, you know, sometimes it's good to unpack old traumas like flight training.
0: For sure. <laughs> we'll talk to you all in a couple of weeks.
1: All right. Later, everybody.